This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is Wednesday, which means you're more than halfway through the week already. Congratulations to you. Means that we're most of the way through the Denver Broncos preseason. The Rams are in town for joint practices. They practiced today. They will also practice tomorrow. They'll be off on Friday. And the game, uh, such as it is <laughs> at that point, will be uh, played on Saturday night, though it will certainly be a bunch of uh, third and fourth stringers against third and fourth stringers. But uh, good news for the Broncos when on the injury front. Mike McGlinchey uh, back out there at practice. The Broncos offensive line is whole. Obviously, one of the, the most important parts of this team. It is hard to envision success for the Broncos if the offensive line is not vastly improved from last year. But we'll get into to more of that. The terrific moment happened at the end of practice after Sean Payton talked, after Pat Sertan talked, after Russell Wilson talked, and there was a bit of a break. And even though we had all seen him on the sidelines for practice, uh, everyone was deciding whether they were going to head back to the media room and start their work or if maybe someone else was coming out. Turns out someone was, and that someone was Randy Gratishar, who uh, was informed, as we talked about yesterday, that he was one of the three finalists from the senior committee to be advanced to the final Hall of Fame ballot. And it was very evident, standing a few feet away from him, and I don't claim to know Randy Gratishar, I've only met him a couple of times, um, that he was over the moon grateful and touched by the honor, even though it is not entirely the final step into Canton, that vote from the senior committee is often a rubber stamp, with very few exceptions. Paul Tagliabue won, oddly, but uh, for the most part, it is more or less a rubber stamp. You need 80% of the 50 votes on the board of selectors. Uh, they will be voting on Art Powell, mm-hmm. Steve McMichael, and Randy Gratishar before Super Bowl 58. So you can do the math. Uh, all Randy needs, uh, all any of these three need, is 40 votes. 40 votes for each. I would think they would uh, all get the 40 votes necessary. I would hope they get closer to 45, maybe even closer to 50 than 40. But it seems a mere formality, and I think they chose wisely. Uh, I had thought Maxie Bond might get through uh, this year, a terrific middle linebacker on some generally bad Philadelphia teams, although his rookie year was their 1960 championship season in Philadelphia. I thought Sterling Sharp memorably making it. Well, uh, his career... Uh, lasted seven years and they were they were great seven years but it's a little bit of the Terrell Davis, Terrell Davis yeah. uh, syndrome and it took TD a, a while uh, because the career was so short and Hall of Fame consideration is generally given to longevity and brilliance uh, certainly Sterling Sharp was a brilliant wide receiver uh, but he did not have longevity Terrell Davis same thing as a running back did not have longevity, uh, was brilliant uh, for three or four years. Uh, I know when people argue about uh, the greatest tennis player of all time, it seems to me, especially nowadays, uh, and building in for recency bias, that longevity is much more important than brilliance. Uh, If it were brilliance and uh, 
imagined uh, number of major championships won had players who were professional before 1968 not been barred from Wimbledon, French Open, U.S. Open, Australian Open. Uh, Rod Laver would have won more majors than anybody, and that record would be out of reach. Rod Laver was the Jack Nicklaus of tennis. Um, I don't see any way, and there are plenty of Rod Laver clips, entire matches of his on YouTube if you want to go and investigate. Rod Laver is a much better player than uh, any of the current guys, uh, including uh, Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic has had, other than his refusal to get vaccinated, a free and clear opportunity to play in every major. He didn't have to go, if he was professional, to a circuit that did not allow for pros to appear at those major championships. And so I I think that works against him, and maybe it even worked against Randy a little bit, although his career did last 10 years. And he he did retire at the age of 31, sensibly. Um, I'm thrilled for him because I think this is as close as he's ever been. He was a modern-era finalist twice, Mm -hmm, in 03 and 08. And in one of those two years, he should have been in. He should have been in 20 years ago, at at least 20 years ago, and probably 30 years ago. He's been eligible for 36 years. Are you kidding me? And they're finally getting around to finding a way to get him in. Uh, with 40 of the 50 votes. Uh, but uh, I I I like uh, the, the three guys who are nominated. Uh, McMichael, because he was in for me, maybe not quite the Aaron Donald class, because I think that's a class of one. Uh, but Steve McMichael was better than Warren Sapp. He was better than John Randall. Uh, he was uh, the best pass-rushing defensive tackle of our time, uh, other than Aaron Donald who, again, isn't a class by himself. There, there's nobody else in the class. No. By the way, Aaron Donald, yeah, not at the Broncos and Rams Correct. joint practices. Correct. His wife is due to give birth any day now, and so he did not travel. But uh, Art Powell, uh, I was fiddling around today because just off the top of my head, uh, I was an AFL guy growing up. Uh, my father rooted for the Giants. Uh, I rooted for the Jets. Uh, I was probably a little young when they were the Titans, but certainly by the time they had Namath, uh, in 65, his rookie year, I was on board. Um, and, uh, you know, the 10-year history of the AFL has been captured very well in a variety of forums, uh, both video and in print, uh, publications, books, and so on. It, it, I want to get your reaction to this. Five best wide receivers in the 10-year history of the AFL. Okay. In no particular order, Lance Allworth, okay. Hall of Fame. Sure. Don Maynard, Hall of Fame. Okay. The two Taylors, Lionel and Otis, mm-hmm. in my mind, should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. And Otis was in, was was on in this list. list. Did Otis not make it to the list. three, but was on the list. Right. And the fifth is Art Powell. Unquestionably Art Powell. Art Powell came to the AFL in 1960 because he didn't like the way he was being treated in Philadelphia. So he got out after 1959. Uh, Back then, if you didn't accept segregation, teams didn't want you around. 
So he goes to the AFL. And for three years with the New York Titans, who really did not have a quarterback, uh, <laughs> he had 14 touchdowns in 1960 with the Titans. 14 touchdown receptions, led the AFL in touchdown receptions. In 1962, his last of the three years with the Jets, led the AFL in yards gained receiving 1,130. Goes to the Raiders, coached by Al Davis in 1963, and becomes Al Davis's ideal wide receiver because he stretched the field. He was rangy, and he was fast, a great player, one of the great unknown players, and I'm glad that he has gotten to this point. His first year with the Raiders, 16 touchdown receptions, 1,304 yards. Both led the AFL. Both led the AFL. Just an incredible player. Uh, Finished off with Buffalo in 67, Minnesota in 68, uh, was never particularly, other than his years in Oakland, was never particularly fond of the uh, racial sensitivities in any of those other places, including a couple of places in New York uh, with the Titans and the Bills. But for those four years in Oakland, maybe Lance Allworth was better, and I'm a big Allworth guy, but I'll tell you, you can make an argument for our pal during that four-year stretch uh, with the Raiders, and in six out of seven years, he was first team or second team All Pro in the American Football League. Just a great player, and I'm glad he's getting the recognition. Touchdowns per game uh, for his career: point seven seven. Only Don Hudson, uh, the old Green Bay receiver from the 30s and 40s, uh, beat that at point eight five. Uh, really, only had seven healthy seasons. Average. Remember, they were only playing 14 games back then. Yeah, yeah. Right? 65 catches, 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns. That's better than Cortland Sutton does today in right. 17 games. You're right. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And and keep in mind, when you're talking about the talent there, in 1959, his year with the Eagles, they used him as a defensive back. And he still had three interceptions yeah. and two fumble recoveries. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, you're talking well, about... Man, maybe uh, the CU kid, uh, Travis Hunter. Uh, Travis Hunter, maybe, right. Maybe he'll become... Take a look uh, at an Art Powell, uh, an Art Powell uh, as well. Player, but it, it, to me, the best wide receivers, the best five in the AFL were Art Powell, Lance Ower, Don Maynard, and the two Taylors, Otis and Lionel. Powell passed away in 2015 at the age of 78, uh, and, and I think... Quite frankly, uh, McMichael is certainly deserving, but I think there's also a thought process a little bit, and perhaps it affected Sterling Sharp, that McMichael is battling ALS yes. uh, right now, uh, that maybe there is a little more thought process in getting some of these folks in while well, they can I, enjoy it. I, and I, I think and and Randy's you know an example of that. And, and I think when there is an opportunity to do that, quite frankly, I think I'm all for it. And uh, so congratulations to Powell and McMichael, uh, who, by the way, uh, a tremendous guy who played tackle, nose tackle in the middle for a lot of his well, career. Well, that, that's right. Um, you know, and, and he and was 95 a classic, sacks. He was a classic 4-3 yeah, 95 defensive sacks. tackle with 95 sacks. 92 and a half, of course, came with the Chicago Bears. Uh, part of what? People still, in many cases, consider to be the greatest single-season defense of all time, the 1985 Bears. Hard to argue with that. And so those three, plus uh, Buddy Parker, the modern era 
uh, the, right. the country contributor candidate, Body Parker, uh, uh, elevated to that. Mike Shanahan and Dan Reeves ended up missing the cut. But uh, then they will be have their opportunity to be voted in. It is, um, it, it's not a foregone conclusion, but it's awfully close. And that's a wonderful, oh, it, wonderful it, sign. It, it's as close to a foregone conclusion, I think, as you can get. Because I, I do believe that on this uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame senior committee, mm-hmm. there are people also included yes. among the 50. Yes. Uh, Peter King, for example, uh, basically wrote this week that anybody they sent through would get in. By the way, both McMichael get in. in his 15 years and Randy Gratisher in his 10, neither of them ever missed a game. Not one. Well, uh, Michael was called by something. Mike Ditka, the toughest player ever played, and you had the Woody Hayes quote about Gratisha. Best, best linebacker he's linebacker ever linebacker coached. He ever coached. So, I mean, and, there and you go. Woody Hayes coached a bunch of very good <laughs> linebackers sure uh, through the years at uh, Ohio State uh, in particular. And, uh, you know, it, Randy was in the final six last year. Um, averaged 200 tackles a year, and as we mentioned yesterday, that was a bone of contention. Uh, there were some, uh, one in particular, uh, the late Paul Zimmerman, who thought those uh, tackle totals were uh, enhanced, uh, to use the euphemism. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1974 first-round pick lasted through until the 14th pick overall because he had a knee injury. And John Ralston, being the smart personnel evaluator he was, said, wow, we can get Randy Gratishar, but I'm going to call Woody Hayes because he's my friend and he'll tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And Woody Hayes says he's fine, he's healthy, and he'll be your best player. And today, Gratishar actually uh, mentioned Ralston and talked about that when asked about the, the Orange Crush defense. The first person, he talked about Joe Collier as well. well but the first course. person he mentioned was Ralston and pointing out that, oh, like, Ralston this drafted is, him. And, yeah. and he said, me and many others. Uh, he's like, right. the, the, that defense well, that was, was assembled. That, that defense was assembled by John Ralston. Right. Now, uh, John Ralston... Uh, was more knowledgeable, perhaps, as head coach about offense than he was about defense. And even there, uh, John Ralston was a CEO head coach when being a CEO head coach wasn't fashionable. But John Ralston was a brilliant talent evaluator. The Broncos have never had a better talent evaluator in their history of more than 60 years than John Ralston. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't nearly as good a head coach as he was a talent evaluator, and that was unfairly used against Red Miller. Uh, you you know the syndrome that new coach comes in. Well, he won with John Ralston's players, right? Well, yeah, but John Ralston couldn't win with John Ralston's players. <laughs> that, so that is Red Miller was the ideal choice uh, to be the head coach uh, at that point. And uh, I saw a great picture, which I've seen before, but it's been a few years. Uh, the Athletic uh, mm-hmm. wrote a piece today, Dan Pompey, I believe, uh, maybe accompanied by some others, on these three getting in. And, of course, Pompey covered Steve McMichael as a beat man in Chicago for many years. But he writes the story, and they've got a picture above the headline uh, of opening day at Three Rivers Stadium and Randy Gratishar's final season, 1983. The Broncos beat the Steelers. Um uh, in spite of all the snorting he did to intimidate John Elway, Randy Gratishar that day outplayed Jack Lambert. The Broncos won the game. I believe it was 14-10. to 10. And there's a great picture of Dan Reeves 
beaming with his arm around Randy Gratishar, who's also smiling uh, through his face mask. It's a little harder to discern his expression, but it's a great shot of Dan Reeves and Randy Gratishar. Uh, Reeves, uh, at that point, beginning his third year as head coach of the Broncos, and Gratishar, his last year uh, with the Broncos, and they're together after a, a glorious opening day win over the Pittsburgh Steelers, who weren't Super Bowl contenders at that point, but they were still the team that had fairly recently won four Super Bowls in six years. And that was a hell of an opening day win. And John Elway's debut, uh, replaced late by Steve DeBerg, who threw um, or at least got them into the end zone for the winning points. But it was a great shot, a great shot. And that's Randy Gratishar in his 10th and final season. Gratishar, of course, may be the best goal line defender in the history of football. That is so. not an exaggeration. So. That 77 Broncos defense, by the way. You know what wasn't inflated? Fumble hmm. recoveries, right. interceptions. Right. And the plays he made on the goal line that even people who didn't cover him all the time the Broncos defense. said he was the greatest goal line defender who ever lived. That year, uh, allowed a league low 1,531 yards on the ground. And a league low five rushing touchdowns. Well, we That's talked it. about we talked about Five. Orange Crush. And the other part of the Orange in Crush is kind of hidden in, in the, the secret. Also by a decent margin, the least penalized defense right. in right. the NFL. Uh, it, it, you know, this wasn't the renegade Raiders running around and, and the least it, penalized it doing what Jack Tatum used to do. In 28 teams, the least penalized the team. team on uh, listen, defense. listen, there, there were three great defenses in, in the mid to late 1970s uh, went into the 1980s, but Doomsday was in decline. Um, Steel Curtain was in decline. That guys are getting older. Uh, Orange Crush maybe slightly, but Orange Crush stayed together and played together longer and better than those other two defensive teams. And the three best defensive teams against the run in an era where most teams ran the ball more than they threw it, most everybody did. There were three great rush defense teams. Doomsday, Steel Curtain, and Orange Crush. Randy Gratishar was out of practice today watching that, and one of the the fun things for the team is he had a chance to meet a lot of the guys on the modern team. Uh, Pat Sertan came out and spoke before Gratishar because I think Gratishar coming out was a bit of a surprise and spoke a little bit about uh, meeting him and understanding a little bit of that era and taking a look at that kind of accomplishment, knowing that you, you're meeting someone who not only set the standard to be a Hall of Famer, but set the standard for the defense that you, quite frankly, are probably the best player on. Well, that one, but the. What uh, are we doing the sound clip? Yeah, Pat, yeah, Sorry. the Pastor Tan sound clip. Right. I like that. I look what you're doing. That's kind of a midweek groove there. We're good. The Pastor Tan one about Gratishar. Yes. There we are. Yeah. That's my fault. I didn't coordinate that with Danny. Um, it was pretty dope. Um, you know, just to understand the culture of Broncos history, but also, you know, give props to a dude, um, you know, that played at a high level um, back in his day. Um, he said nine pro ball, uh, pro bowls, um, one of the defensive player of the year. So um, a lot of credit goes out to him, you know, and that's a huge thing for him making the Hall of Fame. So, you know, congrats to him. You know, he was just saying um, a lot of things, you know, he can't wait to watch us this year, um, you know, just getting ready for the season. I'm um, giving us tips on how to, you know, strive to that next level to win ball games. So, you know, it's very inspirational.
They won a lot of ball games. That defense did. Uh, you know, Craig Morton came in and provided steadiness at quarterback. The Broncos really hadn't had. Uh, Charlie Johnson was a fine quarterback here, but he was late in his career, as it was with Craig. But Craig came in and steadied things down. But the defense made the plays. And and uh, you think of 1977 and you think of 2015, the only difference being that the Broncos won that Super Bowl uh, in 2015 and didn't win in 1977. But the teams were set up and built almost along identical lines with defense ruling the day and the offense just trying to stay out of the defense's way and maintain field position, not necessarily score a ton Led of by points. an aging quarterback on his uh, last team as right. well, as it turns out. But uh, the 2015 version turned out better. Uh, this Craig, Broncos Craig defense, actually had many uh, good years and one great year after 1977 mm-hmm. and 1981 with, with Steve Watson. But uh, 1977, there was no doubt uh, Craig gave the Broncos a, a feeling that they could win with defense. And they were the best defensive team in the American Football Conference and probably in the National Football League that year. Well, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. 303-831-1340 for Broncos fans. For Randy Gratisher himself talking about waiting for 35 years. That wait may be over soon as he's advanced to being one of the three senior finalists for the Hall of Fame. For the Broncos, the Rams are in town. The practices today and tomorrow far more important than the game on Saturday. We'll take a peek at what happened and talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Today's version of the Denver Broncos defense went against the Los Angeles Rams over at Dove Valley. The uh, joint practice went on on the two fields simultaneously, which made things interesting, of course, uh, with you know the first-team offense and the first-team defense for both squads being at least active at the same time. And uh, even admittedly after the practice, you know, Sean Payton, we've talked about how coaches don't miss things. He kind of admitted he's like, yeah, you, you do a little bit. But in these cases, you can't really, you know, watch them all. But uh, there wasn't, I wouldn't say there was a ton to see. <laughs> I mean, on both, on both. It, it, look, I, here's where things, things get weird, right? I, I get that everything has to be this sort of breathless anticipation, but it looked like a practice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was a it was a loosely really called scrimmage. I'm not even sure it was a scrimmage because scrimmages have some formality in it. Right. This really right. wasn't some structure. Yeah. This it. wasn't really the the it was kind of freelance. Yeah. The, right. You know, Broncos first team offense and the Rams right. first team offense were on one field, and Broncos first team defense yeah. and Rams first team were on another field, and they were just kind of running drives against yeah. each other, but not very formalized. Yeah. And uh, th- I don't think there anybody, were no brawls though. That was the there was there was a a. Um, a moment pier six brawls no nothing of that nothing nothing a uh, a moment about 45 minutes into the practice where there was some pushing and shoving after yeah. a play and then about you know a dozen guys on each side sort of jog over half-heartedly yeah, yeah, yeah. like you see in the, like you see in baseball fights where so so would i guess Deion i'm involved. sanders have been approving or disapproving 
Did anybody run away? Didn't see anybody run away. So I think Dion would have been okay with it. Nobody Uh, ran away. Nobody ran away. They kind of jogged over, obligatory. Yeah, sort of uh, the obligatory, jawing a little bit. And And, yeah, and and not not much really happened. Nobody really even on the... On the ground, you, you know, it wasn't serious because Randy Gregory was in that, uh, in that, you know, big old scrum. Well, as he was in the scrum last as year. As one too. of the peacemakers, he was breaking Always it up. A, yeah, okay. Like, okay, right. you know, it's not that serious when Randy Gregory's well, breaking it didn't up. Didn't he have multiple personal foul penalties last Christmas mm-hmm. in Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah. And Randy Gregory's in there just telling everybody, Go back to your sidelines. This is dumb. <laughs> and he was when Randy right Gregory is the peacemaker, yeah. you know it hasn't it, amounted to very much. No, it wasn't very much. So not a lot of bad blood, as you you might expect. Uh, did feel like the practice got cut uh, maybe a smidge shorter than a lot of people expected because it really was hot. And I think after a while, you had a little bit of the extracurriculars, never turned into a big get-together like it did about 45 minutes in. But, you know, a couple guys joined, and I think both Sean Payton and Sean McVay kind of looked at them and said, we've kind of gotten everything we can get out of today. Let's let's get these guys the, inside. The, the players, I don't think, love the joint practices as much as the coaches do. I agree with you. I agree. And in fact, I agree completely. Especially this late in camp. Yeah. I'm thinking these guys are already Remember, next getting week, ready they're... for the season. I mean, the, the regular season. Yeah. And, they, and you say, well, they haven't picked the team yet. Well, come on. I, I, I'll bet at least 45 guys oh, I know at they've least, made it. At least 45. And I think it's probably, closer to 48. Probably pretty close to 35. No, they won't make it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll end up on the practice squad. Maybe they won't. Uh, but, yes, I, I nobody I, – you, you didn't get the feeling today in watching that – Oh, my goodness, there's Drew Sanders. I hadn't noticed him before in camp. Right. I mean, Drew Sanders, for a lot of people, has been the star of training camp 23. I mean, you have Vance to me, Joseph to me, saying, been, to me, it's been Zach Allen, but he, he stands out. He does stand out. Because he's fast and he's big, and according to Vance Joseph, he makes plays in practice and sometimes even in the games, and he was much better in game two than he was in game one that no other linebacker, at least on this roster, can make. And I'd agree with that. He's bigger, he's faster than either Singleton or Jewel, and I just think it's a matter of time. Uh, He'll have to learn the defense, and he'll have to learn to be where he's supposed to be. And Jewel and Singleton are pretty good at that. But I think he has so much more to offer. Uh, He can get after the quarterback from his experience as an outside linebacker in college. Uh, He can cover. And, you know, I, I, I agree with the idea that, you know, people are, well, the Broncos have to find somebody who can cover Travis Kelsey and shut him down. Well, nobody shuts nobody, down Travis no. Kelsey, so that's not the idea. Right. But you have to have better coverage on the inside than they have had from Singleton and Jewel, who are fine on first down, sometimes on first and second down. But in passing situations, uh, certainly on virtually third down, they're, they're coming sure. out of the game. They're, they're liabilities. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, yeah, you don't really worry about shutting a guy like that down, obviously. But it is it is a concern that uh, the tight end in a lot of these cases is is really you know it, it is having a um, a renaissance in which they're they're game changing positions now, a phenomenal athlete, and you simply can't just ignore that reality. In the seventeen games, I mean, basically, Travis Kelsey played one season. 
against the Denver Broncos in his career. He's played 17 yeah. games. Right. He has 101 catches, 1,290 yards, and six touchdowns. That's still, I mean, he shouldn't be that productive against one team. But uh, it, that, that still isn't way, way more than he does against anybody else. No. No, not, not at all. So, no. you know, he, he hurts everybody. And, yes, he loves playing against the Broncos. And he probably loves playing against the Broncos because you can count the number of games. Five out of those 17, he's, he's had he's more than 100, and, 100 yards received. Well, Four he's, of them, he's had 130 yards. He's, he's only, well, I don't know, maybe I'm a little off on that. If, if he's lost more than two games as a member of the Chiefs against the Broncos, I'd How long does that streak go back to? Well, it's 15 straight going back to 2015. Now, he, I think he was on the 2015 he, team. He was on the 2015, and he was on the 2014. Uh, on the 2014 team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his debut against the Broncos was in, Fe- in so September lost, of 2014. You know, two or three. But, again, you can count on one hand. Uh, but for the games, majority of his he's, career, he's just walked down the Broncos, right? right. right. And, and in it, the last few uh, years, his receiving numbers have been down, you know, 43 yards in the, uh, in the final game last year, a 71 in the year be- in, in the game before, in the two ga- uh, the uh Two games in the 2021 season, 34 yards and 27 yards, only one touchdown those last four. And I think people have looked at it and said, well, the Broncos have done a good job against him. Well, not necessarily because the the, 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 the Chiefs at, at no point really in those games last year have needed to pass. Exactly. They've exactly. Been cruising. They got way ahead the first time, and people got excited because the Broncos came back and made it a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And people who didn't watch that game – think that the Broncos being within one score in the fourth quarter were right in the game with a chance to win. No, they weren't. We watched the game. They weren't in it. Uh, the game in Kansas City, Kansas City was just futzing around. Uh, they they had basically clinched yeah. uh, by then, and, uh, you know, they just kind of toyed with, with the Broncos. That was uh, one of the Jerry Rossberg games, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, uh, they did not win. Uh, they won the Charger game in which Brandon Staley both managed to lose the game but play starters long enough so that Mike Williams, a very valuable receiver, got lost because of injury, Mm -hmm. because Staley was... Staley gets criticized for all the wrong reasons. The only things Staley gets criticized for are actually the things that most sane people would admire him for doing where Staley falls short is that he doesn't deploy his personnel in a very intelligent way. And he gets burned by that and he doesn't manage games very well, but it doesn't have anything or certainly not everything to do with his going forward on fourth down because he makes it. They make it because they have a great quarterback, a very, very, very high percentage of the time. And if you really watch the Chargers, you see that they'd have been blown out of some games that they either won or only lost barely because they did go for it on fourth down so much. That kept them in the game. That final game against the Raiders a couple of years ago where the winner got to go to the playoffs Mm -hmm. and the loser went home unless there was a tie and then both went. And it almost was a tie because it went to overtime. The only reason that that game wasn't a blowout in favor of the Raiders was because the Chargers kept going for it on fourth down and kept converting. 
time after time after time after time yeah. after time. It was the only thing that kept them in the game because their defense couldn't stop the Raiders at any point, including in the overtime period. This is going to be, uh, the, these next couple of days obviously are very important for the Broncos, but it's it's kind of complicated to parse out in, in what fashion. Because you're right, the majority of this roster is set. Uh, I don't know if anyone can make the team based on a performance in the game Saturday. I, I just, I'm not convinced... Well, let, it could let, let me put it this way, because Ash about Drew Sanders. I, 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 I tend to maybe put Zach Allen aside just because for what the Broncos paid to get him, he's supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. Okay? No, he's he, been impressive, and that's yeah. fine. But to me, the two stars of camp have been Drew Sanders and Jaleel McLaughlin. They, they've, they've been the standouts. Uh, Sanders, wasn't he kind of banged up going into camp? Right. So I I think he's gotten better and better and better as camp has gone on. And McLaughlin was a guy who was, you know, probably won't make the team, uh, may catch on somewhere else or might make a practice squad. And now he's a guy you have to have on the 53 man and probably on opening day. I'd activate him. Maybe I would too. One of the forty-six. I think so too. I I really do. And and I guess if you're talking about uh, reasons in which the Broncos may be able to take a leap and be better, and to maybe make a run at the playoffs. I mean, one of the things that has to happen is that multiple players have to blossom into almost the ideal version of themselves simultaneously. That rarely occurs, and that's why if you're making the the assumption that will happen that's a pretty good way to get yourself in trouble but it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen and the right personnel the right coaching uh, these things when they're together increase the likelihood of it's happening for the denver broncos uh, maybe that's exactly uh, what will happen when you're talking about a couple of these players on this team one of the players and i'm gonna move it over a little bit that might be on the ice for the colorado avalanche particularly well-known, but over at the NHL Network, an idea that a longtime superstar, a man without a team, might be connected to the Avs as they look to get back to the Stanley Cup. We'll talk about the potential of Patrick Kane next in My Way Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Believe it or not, we're not all that far away from the Colorado Avalanche hitting the ice for their training camp. Their rookie camp starts on the 14th of September. So we're only really uh, three weeks away from the Avalanche getting on the ice. And so the idea of looking at their roster is interesting. We've done a lot of that in the offseason, but uh, David Pagnotta, for NHL, uh, was speaking on the NHL Network and specifically pointed out that while there are a handful of teams that are interested in Patrick Kane, that the Colorado Avalanche appear to be increasingly interested. And the Avalanche have a couple things that give Kane at least reason to look at them. There is a possibility to be, when healthy, in the top six. Right now they did add Jonathan Duran in the hope that he can be uh, sort of 
recovered uh, alongside <laughs> rehabilitated. Yeah, rehabilitated yeah. alongside uh, old mate uh, Nathan and McKinnon from junior days. From the junior days, and then bringing uh, Kane in. But at least we could put him in the t- the top six. You, you know about the the lines up there would give him an opportunity. And uh, remember, he is a free agent. Uh, again, you know, after, after more than likely after the season, he's going to sign a, a one-year deal, help the Avs with scoring debt. And the most important part is the Avs have cap space because they yeah. moved yeah. Gabriel Landeskog sure. to the long-term yeah. reserve. Now, they don't have a lot. Two million, funny thing is two million is most quite a bit uh, near the top of the league, at least the top yeah. of the contenders that Patrick Kane might consider. The problem is Kane had surgery in early, late May and early June uh, area. After they were bounced out of the playoffs. Right. And uh, the Rangers were. The Rangers. He ended up with the Rangers and then did get 12 points in 19 games. He's getting a hip resurfacing and he, terrible injury. In the he looked like his hip was gone in the playoffs. Yeah. And what now. they're doing with the hip resurfacing, by the way, it's uh, it's basically an alternative hip replacement if it shows you how bad things have gone. Basically what they do instead of taking off that, that top of the hip, as you imagine, they basically sort of, medically sand it down yes. and put a, 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 a basically a very smooth piece of metal yeah. covering so it moves better. That is a four to six month recovery period. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and you'd probably lean at the age of 34, probably to the six. Yeah. So you're talking about a guy that probably can't help anybody until December. At the earliest. At the very earliest. If you're the avalanche, are you still curious or is that maybe a little too much I'm curious. I mean, he's he's been a great player um, for a very long time, you know, obviously for a long time in Chicago, and you know the three cup championship seasons uh, for the Blackhawks, and what six year period, 10, 13, 15, mm-hmm. I think were the years. That's they won right. The cup. Yeah, uh, Joel Quenville, of course, is uh, the head coach, and uh, Taves and Kane, and uh, you know. Duncan Keith, Seabrook, on defense were, were probably the cornerstone players. The four cornerstone players Kane on said specifically Stanley Cup championship team. I know I'm turning 35 next year, but it's not like I feel old. I still feel pretty young. The passion is still there. I know that I can still be a top player if my focus is solely on hockey instead of how I feel. Well, I, the, the miracles of modern medical technology, uh, I guess uh, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see uh, what he has. And again, uh, I, I don't, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I don't think there's that much to lose uh, if they went after him. Um, there are other teams interested, which is a tribute to his talent, because if he were any less of a player than we know him to be coming off something like this, there wouldn't be any interest. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the part that I think is, maybe gives you pause it, it, at times. I think you can also, however, look at the, the body of work and talk yourself into something. I, that I you would should. like him on the power play where you don't really have to be a great skater to be effective. Yeah. And, and then there's not as much risk of the hits oh, yeah. of, of being, yeah, of being, you're not People being crushed because they're, they're, they're a man short. Yeah. And that's a, a major part of that equation. So I, well, I'm I, always thinking I, 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 any, the, you know, you've got, again, assuming they're a healthier team in 23, 24 mm-hmm. than they were this past season. You've got the makings of, I'll be honest, an historically great power play. Um, I think 
they were replaying. I, I was working out at Lifetime today between 11 and noon, and they had the Devils Avalanche Game 7 from 2001 Ooh, okay. on the screen. So I assume that was the NHL network. So amid this report, they were showing that Stanley Cup final Game 7 from 2001, and boy, was that a reminder. It was fun. I had to work it out with the trainer, who's a big sports fan. And I'm calling the goals out. I still remember the sequence <laughs> and about when they took place. And I said, uh, uh, you know, particularly on the Sackett power play goal that gave him the 3 nothing lead. Tangay had had a couple of goals in that game, the first two goals. The uh, first one was uh, set up largely by Dan Hynote, who had replaced Milan Hayduk uh, that night on the first line. Great move by Coach Bob Hartley. Uh, Hayduk was in a, a scoring slump. Remained a great defensive forward, and later in the game, Hayduk rejoined Tangay and uh, Sackick for uh, part of the second period and the, the entire third period to try to protect that lead, which, of course, the Avalanche did. And um, it was a reminder, look at that power play. I mean, you had Bork, and you had Blake, and you had Foot, and you had Sackick, and you had Tangay, and you had – they were just loaded absolutely loaded uh, on the power play. Chris Drury, uh, who is a tremendous playoff performer in particular. I mean, Chris Drury was a hands-down Hall of Famer in the playoffs. And remember, and, I mean, no question about Chris it. Chris Drury, the last person the that Patrick Kane was playing for because Drury is the GM of the, the Rangers exactly right. and brought him in. Apparently, the word is while they were happy with everything, uh, the cap probably precludes them from bringing oh. Kane back. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And but if I'm, you're the abs in this case, you Chris can kind of afford Chris to is wait. A terrific gentleman. You can afford to wait. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, other no, teams are I, not going to all of a sudden yeah. have less on the cap, and you're not right. going to make a lot of maneuvers in the middle of the season. Right. And when you're talking about December at the earliest. No, if you get him for the second half of the year, uh, you know, 35, 40 games, and get him built up so he can give you, you know, 12, 13 minutes a game in the playoffs, that That'd be great. And, and use them on the power play. But uh, I was just looking at that power play from 2001 oh. as a reminder of how an historically great power play looks. And Devil's power play wasn't bad either, by the way. Mm-hmm. The only goal they scored in the last two games of that series came on a power play. But the, the Avalanche are just overwhelmingly good on the power play, and they should be pretty close to that now, given the talent. They have at their disposal, and if you added Patrick Kane to that, just on the power play, wow, because he can still be effective on the power play. Yeah, he's still got a scoring touch. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. When you think of that, that power play is kind of ridiculous. I mean, in the end, uh, kind of silly, and it and it didn't at that point because he was injured. Include Peter Forsberg when it came to the final, the last two series. Yeah, the the, the conference final and Stanley Cup final. There was no Peter Forsberg. No. And on a power play, can you imagine introducing Forsberg and how good that power play was earlier in the playoffs and throughout the regular season that year? But uh, that was the, kind of the beginning of Forsberg encountering uh, injury problems mm-hmm. that would lead to the shortening of his career, but uh, take nothing away from the brilliance of his career. Yeah. We're talking about Hall of Fame. Oh. Peter Forsberg is obviously in the Hall of Fame. Please. But, yeah. but uh, you know, the brilliance there was certainly but yeah you look back at that and taken and into consideration more than the Alex Tanga did a fine longevity. job stepping into that role I mean uh 
Well, no, no, I mean, high note joined that line, mm-hmm. but Tangay was great in game seven. Seven, seven uh, points in the seven games yeah. behind only Joe Sackick. I remember Tangay right. at the time was only 21 years old. Yeah. And uh, Alex is a great kid, and he turned out to be a very good National Hockey League player. But, again, that night, if you're going to have a career game, Make it game seven of the game Stanley seven Cup of Stanley Final. finals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, yes, in his career, uh, it, it's easy to overlook the fact that uh, Alex Tanka finished with 863 career points. I still remember that nothing. first goal. I, I can see it like it was yesterday. And uh, at the I, age I of 20 years old, today. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, High Note made a good play on the boards, and Tanka came around, circled behind the net, came out front, turned, and whipped one right past Marty Brodeur. Uh, an incredible shot, and it was a bottle knocker, as described mm-hmm. by Bill Clement, the brilliant analyst uh, at the time. Uh, you could see the bottle, you know, that's affixed to the uh, top of the net. Yep. Bounce that. That's where the shot went. Top shelf. And the bottle bounced up. Flying. It was a bottle knocker, and uh, it gave the Avalanche a one to nothing lead, and it it it, it it made me think of all, all the great stories about those last – two games and how after game five uh the avalanche lost in here and went down three games to two they lost the game four one and it looked like it was possibly over because they had blown a chance to break the series open in game four in new jersey uh, a couple of days earlier they lose on a tuesday night here at home four to one and uh someone i think tipped off coach bob hartley that uh, Marty Brodeur's wife was in the corridor, and you know how that's set up at what is now Ball Arena, but yep. was then Pepsi Center. And I think someone heard her talking about what she was going to do with her Stanley Cup winnings. Um, she may have said our <laughs> Stanley <laughs> Cup winnings, not hers. But anyway, Hartley, one way or the other, got wind of the story, goes to Patrick Waugh and tells him, that story, because Bob Hartley and Patrick Waugh know <laughs> how to uh, push the buttons of the other. Yeah. Uh, and it really was that kind of uh, relationship, uh, I suppose still is to this day in some ways. But Waugh looks up at him and uh, says, one effing goal. <laughs> and Hartley knew exactly what he meant. He meant Give me one goal in game six yep. and one goal in game seven, and that'll be It'll enough. Hold up. And you know what? He almost called his shot. He only gave up one goal in the two games, and that was a power play goal after the Avalanche had won game six, four to nothing, and were leading game seven, three to nothing. So as guarantees go, although it was not uttered publicly at the time, that ranks right up there. With backing up your boast. Pretty close. Uh, Patrick Kane, by the way, 1,237 career points, two behind, uh, reaching the top 40 in the history of the NHL. That person he trails by two, uh, the great Quebec Nordique, Peter Stasny. Uh, by the way, a little. Patrick Kane and Peter Stasny, a lot alike. And uh, uh, a little bit of a, a free a bit of advice to the folks down at Ball Arena since we're talking about it. Might be nice to go ahead and you don't have to retire the numbers. I get it. Uh, they can be used, but it's okay to maybe put, if, 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 if we can put up things for the mammoth and everything else up there, it's okay to put up, especially if you're going to start using the fleur de again, the retired numbers for the Quebec Nordiques, especially because oh, two of them 
Absolutely. Uh, had contributions to the Avalanche directly and indirectly that those before, by the way, J.C. Tremblay, uh, the defenseman in the 70s, Mark yeah. Tardif, uh, 70s and 80s, the winger. Great player. Uh, Michel Goulet, who went on to yeah. be uh, obviously a part of the Avalanche's uh, yes. uh, front office Absolutely. as well, a brilliant Good player. Good and uh, Peter Stasny, of course, himself. And it yeah. really wouldn't hurt. The Avs wanted to put those up there, too. Because I think celebrating the history of the Nordiques no should doubt. probably be part of more than just Peter using Stassi, the uniforms Michelle and the Goulet, logos Mark a little Tardif, bit. Uh, and Tremblay, JC yeah. Tremblay, yeah. And especially yeah. with the last, you know, those first two that you mentioned, direct impacts on the Avalanche themselves. But the Avalanche will have to wait and see because it is four to six months. But Patrick Kane and the Avalanche apparently, uh, according to Tom Pagnazzi, apparently have a, a, a fit that may be mutual and the Avs have time to wait. The Denver Broncos don't have time to wait at all because they have the joint practices, then a preseason finale, and then guess what? It's the Raiders. Max Crosby, not Josh Jacobs, fortunately, actually, is a guy that kind of beats the Broncos, but out there every single day getting himself a, a tremendous sunburn, like literally. Uh, you can follow his Instagram and you can see it. He gets sunburned. Cody Rourke, Miley Sports, will join us next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.